About three weeks, four weeks ago, um, Glenn said, oh, we've got a free Sunday um, that sits between series and the big wig next week, <laughs> um, which I felt slightly aggrieved by, but um, I moved on quickly from. And, um, and he said, you know, <laughs> he said, speak about whatever God puts on your heart. And then, like three songs ago, he says, this is what Lewis is going to speak about. It would have been really useful if he told me that three weeks ago, as opposed to having to get me to write a sermon in the last ten minutes. But um, the good news is, um, the, the topic of, or, or the, the thing we're going to focus on this morning, um, is all around holiness. It's the thing we're going to look at. Um, and, um, and when Glenn asked me to speak, there was like, I got really excited. Now, that might not come as a surprise to you if you've um, uh, had me speak before. But I was like, oh, we could speak about this or this. And I was, I was excited about it. Um, and then God said, no, no, I want you to speak about intensely craving holiness. And I started to realize that, that at the heart of all the stuff that I was excited to talk about was the topic of holiness. And as soon as um, God sometimes points your finger at something and says, oh, look at this, you suddenly realize, man, this is everywhere from, from Genesis through to Revelation. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to talk about um, and, and what my prayer has been over these last few weeks is that God in this moment now would do something in each of us that would make us more intensely crave holiness. Now, I want to be really clear. I'm not saying crave something other than God. Okay. Isaiah 6, um, Revelation 4, you see that um, in heaven there's a scene of, of, of heaven crying out, holy, holy, holy. So to crave holiness is at its very heart and essence to crave God. And if you're chasing and craving after God, whether you realize it or not, you're actually chasing and craving after holiness. So that's why we're looking at it. Now, before we get into it, because the, the risk with talking about holiness is that people think you're going to then um, talk about morality or they're going to talk about works and you need to, you need to work at this thing and stuff. And so um, I don't know where everyone stands with God just now. So I want to, I've got a starter for 10 and I'm going to try and go through this quickly. But um, this is the world. Okay, I don't know if you know that, um, that lots of people try and break the world up into lots of different things, but fundamentally in the world there are two groups of people. There are, what side is it, perfect people and there are not perfect people. And everyone that has ever lived, everyone ever alive just now, and anyone that will ever live, fits into one of these two buckets of people. That's it. Everybody can be categorized into these two things. So, first of all, perfect people in the perfect people pot, you have Jesus. So he lived a perfect life. He was God. He was entirely holy. He was the, the, the person that all of heaven is shouting holy, holy, holy for. And he came as a baby, as a man, and lived a perfect, holy life. Good looking on the outside in terms of the way that he lived, but, but totally holy inside. Holiness basically means like the, the becoming like God. And of course he was God, so he was holy. And so he gets to go into the perfect people pot. Everybody else in the entirety of the world is over here in the not perfect people pot. Now if this comes as a surprise to you, if you were thinking I was about to put your name up here, um, then just have a word with your friends and your family, your colleagues, anyone that knows you, um, and they will quickly put you right faster than I possibly ever could. Everybody else is not perfect. And this is, this is the world, and this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Man and woman were made in relationship with God, and they sinned. And so at that point, we go into the not-perfect not people pot, and Jesus is the only person that lives in the perfect person pot. 
And we know that the Bible says really clearly Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and then he went to the cross. And he went to the cross not because he had done anything wrong, perfect people pot, but because of all the junk that we filled this pot over here up with. All the stuff that we got wrong. The big stuff that we feel really bad about. Oh, I wish I'd never done that. The small little stuff where we think it doesn't really matter. Ah, yeah, I can't stand that person, but, ah, you know, I'm kind to them. Ah, morality. What a horrid thing. Someone's scratching their head already. Praise you, God, you're here in the room. Um, And so because we filled up this, this stuff here, Jesus went to the cross and died for all the stuff that is ours. And as a result, we get to, via the cross, come into the perfect people pot. Now, I'm not saying that we are perfect, for the avoidance of doubt. I'm now going to call this the not perfect, perfect people pot. Okay? Really clear. We're not perfect. No one can live a perfect life. The only person that could do it was Jesus. But because he came and he took all the, the junk that was ours and nailed it to a cross... God didn't just say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. He said, no, man, there's a cost, there's a penalty for what you have done and what I have done. And Jesus went to the cross and died to remove that so we can stand before God perfect. Okay, this is the justification, justified. You'll know now, just as if I'd never sinned. So we get to stand before God and he looks at us and he sees us through the cross, through what Jesus did, as perfect before him. Not that we're perfect, but in God's eyes, because of Jesus, we can stand before him perfect. And we know what happens is we sin and we get stuff wrong and we come back to Jesus. We go, oh my God, thank you so much for what you did for me. Now, we, that, that is um, what the whole of the Bible is about. is Of a holy, holy God, an unholy, unperfect people. God coming to die to make us right before God, to make us righteous, justified, to be able to stand before God. And that would be the way that I have, I've talked and preached and, and spoken about this loads. Um, the thing that I've become um, increasingly over the years aware of and, um, is that the cross, um, uh, let me just put it in a different way. The thing that Jesus died for was our holiness. The whole purpose, the whole object of the cross was for our holiness. Okay? It was to remove our sin. It was so that we were justified. But why? We weren't just saved from our sin. We were saved for and into something. Into right relationship with God to be able to stand before him. And so if you look at 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, It is because of him. Okay, so it can't be morality. Morality says, I'm going to live a good life, it's works, it's Ephesians 2, um, or it's anti-Ephesians 2, it says, I'm going to live a good life and I'm going to try really, really hard. The Bible says, no, no matter how good you are, you still end up in the not perfect people pot. But because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, so our right standing before God, it says at the end, our redemption, so our being restored into right relationship with God. And what's slap bang in the middle of that? Holiness. And one of the other words that you hear in church or you know is this word sanctification, which is um, like you could preach a series on it if we want to preach a series on sanctification. But, but sanctification is all around this becoming more like God, setting ourselves apart from God, dedicating ourselves to God, becoming more and more and more holy. And some of the old um, uh, translations of the 
it will have sanctification where we now have the word holy. And so the whole object, the whole purpose of the cross was for our holiness, our restoration of our holiness before God. Um, if you want other verses, um, I've got later on, they're here now, if you want you can take a picture of it. Down the bottom are a whole load of different verses and each one of them I could have preached five sermons on because <laughs> they all talk of this thing. So if you want you can snap it and you can use it. But um, just one of those, 1 Corinthians 6. It says, you were washed, you were sanctified, made holy, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you not know your temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And it then talks about um, honouring God with our bodies. The whole purpose of the cross was for holiness. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of it in those terms. Um, we often think, oh, it's, it's kind of I'm saved from something. We don't always think through the fullness of saved for something. And we think, oh, maybe, you know, well, I'm saved and I get to go to heaven, which is over here. But actually, there's a, there's a huge gap between here. And this is this sanctification thing where we become increasingly more and more holy and more like God. And not perfect people, but we're holy. And so sanctification, holiness, becoming like God, people will talk of it as roughly having three phases. There's the point at which you become a Christian. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, you can see there, you become holy. Just as God is holy, you're holy. And so you, you get holiness, as well as the freedom from your sin, you get holiness through Jesus' death on the cross for you. And we know that at the end of time, God is going to come back and remake the heavens and the earth, and we will be before him pure and spotless, without blemish. No sin, no sickness, no sadness, nothing. Unveiled faces able to see God. But there's this gap between now, where you become holy when you're saved, and then when you will be made fully holy, fully sanctified just before God. There's a process in between of this sanctification, of this becoming holy. Now let me be really clear before I go on to anything else. Holiness or the the becoming holy is first and primarily the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we cannot do it in our own strength. Okay, and I, I need to be really clear about that because of some other verses I'm about to show you in the Bible that will make you go, wait a second, what? Let me be really clear. First and primarily, becoming holy is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of in the name. Who are you? I'm the Holy Spirit. I'm the Spirit of holiness. I'm the Spirit of God that will come and live in you. And as it work in the world, what? What's the Holy Spirit doing to make us more holy? To bring more people into relationship with God? To bring more people into holiness? It's his purpose. It's what he's doing. And it is his work. And we cannot do it in our, in our own strength. But here's the, the burden for me, is a lot of us, without consciously thinking of it, I know this myself, stop there. We say, oh well, Jesus died and so I'm free from my sin and I, I can stand before God holy and perfect before him because of Jesus. And at some point God's going to come back and then in between, well I, I just have to kind of, you know, try and live a good life or share the gospel with people or I must pray or read my Bible. In fact, we're going to do a, a series soon on some of these kind of holy disciplines and it, that will be life-giving. But I don't know how often you think about your life in the terms of pursuing holiness. And there's um, a I can state it no other way than the fact that we must pursue holiness. So you'll see now why I'm so clear that it is the work of the Holy Spirit. But 
2 Corinthians 7, 1. So, um, so uh, w- uh, 2 Corinthians 6 ends by saying, you're a temple of the most holy God. And he says, I will come and dwell with them. I will be the people. I will live with them. So it says, the Holy Spirit, God is going to come and live with us, his people. And it says, therefore, 2 Corinthians 7, we have these promises. Since we have the promise that God is with us, that he has made us holy, that he's dwelling with us, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And it feels contradictory. Wait a second, you've just said the Holy Spirit is the thing. And yet the Bible says we have to purify ourselves. There's an activeness on our part to becoming holy. We can't do it in our own strength. It's not about morality, about living a good life and becoming perfect and hopping from one box to the next. That's Jesus' job. And so for justification, then becoming holy before God, being set free from your sin, only Jesus can do that. All we're involved in is saying, oh, Jesus, I need you. I admit I get stuff wrong. I believe you died for me on the cross and I commit my life to following you. And he does everything else. And when it comes to holiness, the Holy Spirit is the one that is, is helping make us more holy. And yet, yet we are called to be active in the pursuit of holiness. Let us purify ourselves, perfecting holiness. Now, John 11, um, you see Jesus goes and, um, to where his friend Lazarus has died. And Lazarus is dead and they've wrapped him up and they've put him in the grave. And, um, and Jesus comes and he says to Lazarus, he says, get up. And Lazarus goes from death to life. Okay, he goes from death to life. And then the next thing that Jesus tells his friends to help him with is removing his grave clothes. The stuff of his old life. They say, you know, go and help him. And he, he has to, so although he's now gone from death to life, there's still an act of this on Lazarus and his friend's part to help remove some of the, the bandages and the stuff that are on him. You've got this verse, Ephesians 4 says, we are to put on the new self. We're to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so there, there's an activeness on our part to pursuing holiness. Now, the thing that I want to do is then say, well, here's all the different ways you can do it and kind of give us a little checklist of all things. Um, but I am, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to do it this morning because it's not my job to give you a tick list and it's not your job to go and follow a tick list. Tick, tick list? List. It's your job to pursue God. The Bible doesn't say all over the place, you must read your Bible and pray. It says, no, no, no. If you want to find God, if you want to get close to God, if you want to know God better, well, man, here's the Bible, which is his word, and it's him. It's his living, breathing book. Man, if you want to get close to God, get that. He says, oh, I'm I'm not just like a, a, a removed father. I'm an active father that's in your life. Speak to me. Come and speak to me. See, you're not supposed to pray or read the Bible to tick boxes. You're supposed to do it to pursue God, which is a pursuit of holiness. And the, 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 the incredible thing that happens is when you set your heart to pursuing holiness, God does stuff in you. It's remarkable. And it's not you that's doing it, but it's you that is being active in the pursuit of it that something is then happening as a result of it. 
Um, if you look at the, um, I just got to watch time. I get too excited. Um, if you look at, um, we'll not we'll not look into it in a huge amount of depth. But if you look at the whole of the Old Testament, where they talk about the temple and the process of making the temple holy. And so they're to use their skill and their gifts and they're to be active in making the things that are going to be the temple and following the designs and the plans and following all these things. But I tell you what, the cleanest, most beautiful, pristine bowl in the whole of the temple is not holy because it's clean. It's holy because it's dedicated and consecrated to God. If you go and read about sanctification, the temple holiness, it will talk about a separateness. Now that doesn't mean separate from the world in place. What's the accusation against Jesus? This guy eats with sinners. He hangs out with the, the, the morally unkept. It's not about us being separate from them. But we're supposed to be separate in the fact that we are consecrated and, and focused and dedicated to God. And if you want to think about this stuff from a, from a separateness of the world point of view, you can think of your business practice, your actions, your desires, your thoughts... Are they different from the world around you? Is there a separateness from you, a holiness from you that is, is in those ways is seen as different from the world around you? Another thing that you'll hear when you, when you look at readings around the temple and, and some of those verses that are on the bottom there talks about consecration being set aside for Jesus. And again, you start thinking, well, my, my talents, my time, my resources, all the things I've got, am I setting those things aside for God? Am I using those things? Am I using my best for God? You talk of the, the, the temple was conformed to the will of God. The temple was, was set up, it, it conformed to what he had said. And there's a, there's a question which I've asked at different times to people, which is, if tomorrow you disappeared and Jesus swapped into your body and looked like you and was like no one could tell that it was him that was there now instead of you. Would anyone notice? <laughs> it's a terrifying question. You're like, well, of course they would. Now, that is some of what will happen in heaven. Sin. We'll, we, we'll, we won't sin. There won't be sickness. There won't be sadness. There will, there will be a perfection that we will never realize on this earth. But the activity on our part is to look to separate ourselves unto God, to consecrate ourselves to God, to, to set ourselves aside and say, God, I'm going to do things, to conform ourselves to what God says. That's what we're called to do. That's the activeness that is on our part. I don't know if I've got it here. John 17, if you want to, have it, I think it's on there. John 17, 16 to 19 will be on there. Uh, not at all. Oh, no, it is. It is perfect. Um, so John 17, 16 to 19. Um, here it is here. Um, it says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Make them holy by the truth, and your word is the truth. And as you sent me into the world, sent the world. See, Jesus is saying, make them holy by your truth, by your word. You're not supposed to read the Bible just as an exercise or to tick it off and say, hey, I did my reading plan. I'm ahead of myself this year. I'm doing very, very well. No. You're supposed to do it because it's, Jesus says, by that, sanctify them by the truth and your word is the truth. The way you become holy is you read the Bible. What's Jesus doing? He's praying and spending time with God. How is it that Jesus was able to live in the world? Oh, well, he spent time with his father. And he knew the scriptures and he dedicated and set himself aside. And it's why the world changed. Look at the disciples, these uneducated fishermen. And the religious leaders say, I can tell they have been with Jesus. It's not, I can tell they're really good guys. Sons of thunder. <laughs> Imagine your nickname was really angry man. 
Like, you're not, no one's going to go, oh, I can tell he's been with Jesus. You know, I can tell he's a holy guy. They're going to say, no, no, I can tell he has been with Jesus. Now, there's a verse for me which, um, I was going to say it's one of the most thrilling verses in the Bible, which isn't true, but it is thrilling. Hebrews 12, 14. Now, I've kind of, I've taken a bit of the King James Version and a bit of the NIV. Because the NIV says, instead of the word pursue, it says, let us live or with every effort or, you know, let us pursue. Or, you know, like, so it's, it's kind of like make every effort. That's it. Make every effort to. And the, the King James says pursue. And it's more closely to what the original verse was. And so the, by the word pursue, it means intense effort, a definite purpose, a focus. And it says, pursue peace with everyone and to be holy. And you think, great. That's what we do. Pursue peace with everyone and to be holy. Wonderful. Ah, oh, isn't it good? And then you read the second part. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, let me be really clear. When I read that, I read it wrong the first time. I was like, oh, you know, we have to live at peace with everyone and be holy. And if we're not that, then we won't be a good witness to the people around us. And it's all about them seeing God. It's not. It's about us seeing God. I had to check because I, I am no scholar. And so Glenn and I went for a walk the other day and, um, and he went and made sure that I wasn't about to lie to you, which would be really a terrible thing. Um, but, um, but thankfully, if I do lie, the, the responsibility is his now. Um, but um, the, the word there says, no one will see the Lord. And the word see there doesn't mean gaze upon, look at, oh, oh, oh I see him. The, the sense behind that word is, aha, like, whoa, I've just, I've just seen something. You see Jacob, when he wrestles, he said, whoa, surely God was in this place. And so this verse says, without holiness, no one will see God. And this, for me, was life-giving, because one of the, the things that I have enjoyed, and it has been through no effort on my part, is more more and more I've had this thrill of, of daily seeing God in the world around me. And I've probably frustrated people before, be like, hey, it's so exciting, you've got, you can, you've got to find God in the moment, he's there, find him. And, um, and that's really frustrating, because you're there going, well, I've tried and I don't know what to do. Bible says, without holiness, we won't see God. Now, that's not me saying, I am holy. That's why it's not. It's only through God. And it's only in the last three weeks I've realized it. (laughs) I've only realized what he's done. And the weight and the burden I've had over these last few weeks is that we, we just don't seem, as a body of believers, to think it's worth pursuing holiness. And I, and I don't say that lightly, and it's, not an, it's a not an accusation thing. I'm speaking to myself. I, I, I'm like, how, how much am I actively pursuing holiness? Or even when I'm doing the stuff that might be seen to, how much of it is my heart is to pursue and find God? And how much of it is me just doing stuff for religious reasons? I, um, I've, I've spoken before... I, I kind of love, um, I was going to say I love history. To a certain extent, I love history. There's certain, certain history stuff I love reading. And if you go and read books like Duncan Campbell's book, I was chatting about Duncan Campbell last time. What happened in the moment in the Hebridean revival? Well, they came before God in a meeting and they said, uh, it was Psalm 24, verse 7, I think. 
Who can ascend the mountain of God with uncle- with, um, unless you have a pure heart and clean hands? They suddenly realized before God their lack of holiness and their need for holiness. And what happened? God came. And this is the story of the temple. If you go back and you look in the Old Testament at the temple, they, there's all these um, prescriptions and regulations and, and things about what it's supposed to be and how the curtain's supposed to be and all the different ornaments and who's supposed to do what and you've got the outer courtyard and how many cubits wide is it, which gate are they meant to come at, all this stuff regulated in there. And it's all holy. It's all holy. It's a holy place. And then you have the holy place and then inside you have the holy of holies. The one place where when the right sacrifices have been made for the people and when the priest makes the right sacrifice for himself, once a year he could go in and enter the holy place where God would come and dwell within him. See, the temple was made more holy because God came. There was a responsible for the people to pursue it, but it was when God came. And I'm Ezekiel 43, so um, I, I read Ezekiel 40 to 48, but read it with caution. It's a bit like, what? Um, and so Ezekiel's got this picture of this future temple that is going to be completed in heaven, but some of this is what we're living in now. And he's got the Ezekiel 43, 12, where he says, This is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy. Such is the law of the temple. Okay, so Ezekiel knows that we're dense. And so he says, this is the most important law of the temple. He says it, and then he goes, that was the most important law of the temple. Because we go, oh, wait, 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 I'm going to come back over here and just read that again, because I missed it. And he's talking about this future temple. And so in the, in, the, in the old covenant, the temple, the holy place, was the most holy of holies. One person, right sacrifices once a year, could come in and, and, and dwell with God in, in a physical sense. And you have the verses in, um, like, um, uh, well, there's loads of them, but where it says that we are now the temple of God. You are the temple of God. Because Jesus went to the cross, you are a temple where God dwells. And so Ezekiel, in this future picture of us, the church, the temple of God now, that will be completed in heaven, it says all the surrounding area on top of the mountain must be most holy. He calls, he says, the whole of my, not just the holy of holies, the whole of the temple, the whole of the mountain, everything in your life, there's a breadth to the call for our holiness. And he doesn't just say the whole of it must be holy. He says it must be most holy. There's a depth to what he says. But he's talking about the temple because then we get when, when we pursue holiness, aha, God starts to appear more in front of us. I'm going, to, um, I'm going to just finish in a second and just pray, actually, um, because um, I, I've been really clear up front, I think, that the pursuit of holiness is a pursuit of God. God is holy. And Jesus has won for us a holiness on the cross that we get. But he said, oh, I'm going to send the help. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you and work with you and in you to make you more holy. And so um, there, there's, no, there's no thing I can say, there's no formula as such of what you need to do. But, but you have to, we have to pursue holiness. It has to be a thing we care about. And so when you find yourself, like all of us do, like just tempted by sin, like there's a choice there, am I going to pursue holiness or am I going to give in to this? Yeah, let me just pray. That's the the best thing. 
Oh, Father God. Jesus, the reason you went to the cross was for us to be holy. And it will find absolute perfect completion in glory in heaven when you come again. But God, you are calling us to actively pursue this. Holy Spirit, you are you are desperate for us. And Jesus, would you help us to be desperate for you, Lord God? Holy Spirit, your job is to mediate for us before God. Your God is to your role is to apply the work of Christ in us. We cannot do it by ourselves, Lord God. Holy Spirit, your job is to form Christ in us and to join us to Christ. It's incredible. So Holy Spirit, would you come? We are an unholy people and we long for more holiness to be more like you, God. Holy Spirit, would you help us to be more and more holy, to be more and more conformed to the image of God? Guys, when, when, when we get this, all the other stuff starts happening. You're like, ah, I struggle to love this person. Yeah, guys, pursue holiness, pursue God. Set your heart to be more like him. And then you'll find, man, suddenly it's, it's so much easier for me to love these people. It won't be easy but it's easier for me to love these people. Oh God, these people in my life, I'd love for them to be saved. Yeah, guys, pursue holiness. Ezekiel 40, 12, it says that this, this temple, this holy temple, breadth and depth, will be on a mountaintop, visible to people. Guys, if there's sin that you are comfortable with, Holy Spirit, come and burn it up. God, you say there are special implements in the temple, those of wood and clay that will be burnt up and those of gold and silver that have a special purpose. Holy Spirit, would you come and burn up in us now the wood and the clay, the sin that we, where we just trample the cross. Because God, we cannot do it in our own strength. God, we want to see you more. God, we long to see you more. Holy Spirit, would you come now as we sing, as we sing glory to God, as we thank you for Jesus' death on the cross, as we praise our God who is alive and at work in the world just now in us. Holy Spirit, would you come and, and work in us now? Amen.